welcome back to this episode of the Dream Big Play Bigger podcast. I'm your host, AJ Richards, and today I have an amazing guest, Lynn Marie Morsky. She is a doctor, an attorney, and worked with veterans, which is something that most of you know I'm passionate about, being a veteran myself. So uh, I asked Lynn to be on this podcast because amongst those incredible titles, she's also researching and becoming an expert on all things uh, plant-based medicine, sacred ceremony medicine, however you refer to it. Basically, people that in the regular world we call psychedelics, and there's so many negative stigmas for those who don't take the time to learn. And Lynn is Lynn Marie is com- committed to. <laughs> Her name is Lynn Marie, everybody, and we just talked about that. Lynn Marie is committed to changing people's con- uh, ideas and their viewpoints by actual education. The way I see it, none of this 1965 rhetoric that uh, keeps people from knowing the truth, which I'm grateful for. You know, it's funny, uh, Lynn Marie, my daughters are doing a dare week this week at school. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh-huh. and uh, I remember in my dare week, they would show pictures of the brain with massive holes in it and say, this was caused by this, or this was caused by this. And so it was all this scare tactic, like, oh my gosh, you know, I remember, I remember uh, uh, an officer coming in and uh, he was a drug enforcement officer, and he was talking about, I don't even remember what grade it was, but this is crazy. He would talk about somebody being on drugs and peeling their skin off like orange peel. I mean, talk about the indoctrination. Like, okay, never touching that again. Right, exactly. <laughs> or You're actually, like, yeah. not again, ever. Yeah. Ever, yeah. You're in seventh grade. You've already done bath salts. Yeah, not again, <laughs> ever again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. So, uh, Lynn Marie, would you please kind of elaborate a little bit more on your background, what brought you here, what took you out of what you were doing and and brings you into this field. Absolutely. I didn't start as any of the things that you mentioned. I started off as a multimedia (laughs) designer. I have quit many things. Uh, And I realized that wasn't for me. And I went to this point that may become valid later or worthwhile mentioning here is that I decided, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I need to make a stable income. I would like a job with some respect. You know, I went back to the drawing board, um, multimedia designer I had kind of fallen into, and I decided to go to medical school for probably many of the wrong reasons, we'll be very mm-hmm. honest. Although I decided, yeah. okay, I will be a sports medicine doctor, not any other kind of doctor. That should have been my first clue is that the only kind of medicine that was interesting to me was the kind where like the majority of the time your prescription is ice, like here just rest, um, have some ice, maybe an ibuprofen, like not the most medical job in the world. And it was all that I thought I wanted to do, but I trudged ahead and I went to medical school and residency and fellowship, got all the way to sports medicine, realized it was definitely not for me. Mm. And then I was at another crisis point, like, oh boy, I already had one big career transition. Now I'm 31. I think I was at that point. I've spent a quarter million dollars uh, of somebody else's money to get through medical school. You know, I was extremely in debt at that point. And what, what was I going to do? Like it, it just, the thought of starting over, it just wasn't even possible. I was so far in debt. And so I had to make some decisions and figure out the ways that I could use my degree to work for me. And one of those was I started working at the VA. And I was in the compensation and pension department. So for those of you who don't know, if you're a vet, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't, when veterans are transitioning or when service members are transitioning out of the military, there's an exam that's done to see what conditions they got while in the military. And some of those they'll get compensation for, for the rest of their lives. And so I was doing those exams. And it was only about two days a week and it didn't have 
most of the things in it that I didn't like about sports medicine. I wasn't working at night. I wasn't standing on the sidelines of games I didn't understand. Like, you should probably like sports to be a sports medicine doctor. That had escaped me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally get that. That's funny. Right. Small point. Um, and so I, you know, I started doing that. And initially, like, this is great. But like with a lot of other jobs where you're working for a big system of any sort, and I was working for the Department of Defense, you know, that is the biggest system, essentially, I uh, had uh, like the mid-level bosses. I had higher level bosses. At some point, I'm sure the president of the United States is my boss. Like his picture was <laughs> everywhere that I went. So, yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of people telling you what you can and cannot do. And um, that is not really in line with who I am, especially when them telling me what I could not do included, you cannot do or I'm assuming by, you know, by extension, talk about plant medicine. And we're talking just the basics, you know, at, yeah. at that point I was seeing veterans who were being helped by medical cannabis and they couldn't tell their doctors, you know, they could tell me cause I was not actually treating them. I was just kind of the person they would like, like disclose this to as they were leaving and probably hope that I didn't mention it in the thing. Or some of them would even say like, okay, off the record, this is what I'm using, but please don't put that in kind of thing. But that's what they were getting relief from. And I'm seeing this and in my own life, I'm having I'm having therapeutic experiences with plant medicines and psychedelics. And I am on a, you know, I have a podcast and people are interviewing me for that podcast. And they'd always say, is there anything we can't talk about? And I would say, the only thing you can't talk about is my experience, excuse me, my experience with psychedelics. But that was such a transformative thing for me that to have to hide essentially mm. that whole section was so out of alignment. And so, at, you know, and there are many things about, like I said, working for a system, you know, my bosses were, on the slightly toxic side and, and the entire environment was because let's be honest, those of you who are vets, you know that that compensation and pension system is very confusing and very frustrating. And mm -hmm. so through no fault of the vets, they're coming in very frustrated already, you know? So it's like not the most high vibe environment for anybody. And I feel sorry for the vets that have to go through it for sure. But you know, I was kind of like the, the punching bag at the end of the day for like their frustration with the system. Understandably, I never, you know, I never faulted anybody because I know what they've gone through to first off in the service and then through the process being so difficult. But all these things together, it was just like, I am in the wrong environment and I need to get out. And I had on the side written a book on quitting and a podcast on quitting. And here I was unable to essentially quit my own thing <laughs> because I was like, it was kind of a golden handcuff situation. Like it was only two days a week and it definitely paid the bills. And I was like, I'll just hang on to this until something else appears. But then at some point, my health started to falter and an experience with microdosing psilocybin happened, and then we can get into that in a minute, that showed me like, oh, this is having more of an effect on you than you realize. Mm. And it was that right at that same time, I got an email from the Department of Defense saying my security clearance needed to be re-upped by the end of the month. And that is a massive process. And that was like the universe saying like, now or never, Morski, yeah. get out. And yeah. so I did, and I got out without any backup, no other backup plan, no backup job. But on my first, like I said, I'm going to take a week of vacation. Like after I finally, I, I worked for a month, you know, I gave them a month's notice. I worked like crazy. And then I took a week off. And in that week, it came to me that now that I'm finally free of the Department of Defense, I need to spread this message. This is what I'm passionate about is to tell people about the psychedelics and the plant medicines I couldn't talk about for all these years. And mm -hmm. so that's when I started the plant medicine podcast and founded plantmedicine.org. How long ago was that process? That was June. So I quit. My, my quitting revelation came at the end of April. 
And so I gave them my 30 days notice, worked through May, last day was May 29th. And then I had that revelation the first week of June, like this is what I'm being called to do. Wow. That's awesome. And so how's it been since, like what's, what's, your, what's opened up for you since you started that process in June? Well, what I want to make sure is not misleading is that the Plant Medicine Podcast and plantmedicine.org are not where money comes from. Like that is not what's sure. paying my rent. I, yeah. I had two, two months where I was like, I don't really know what's going to happen. And I just put myself out there. And what I did is I put on LinkedIn, I put the word cannabis in my, like, this is what I can do editing on cannabis. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just knew like, let's put a quasi legally acceptable plant name in here. All of a sudden I got people like cannabis websites wanting me to do medical editing for them. <laughs> and so I was kind of freelancing doing that. And then about two months in, I got hired by what they tell me is the world's second largest cannabis website um, to be their medical director. Wow. And it's a thing I could have never imagined. First off, I couldn't have done it while I was working at the VA, like not legally. And yeah. then like, it was not even, when you're in a cloud of other people's you know, regulations and there's toxicity, sometimes your brain cannot go to certain places. And also there's sometimes a desperation that needs to kick in before your creativity kicks in. And so when I suddenly had no job, but I had a world of possibility, all kinds of things opened up and the universe is just like lining them up and showing me the way. Um, so it was not some like, oh, all of a sudden I do a do plantmedicine.org and that's making money. Like, oh, there was, there, were, there was a process, but it, it culminated in me getting a job that's absolutely perfect for me. I work from home. I work for, a, it's a company out of Israel. I love them. Uh, it's, I, and I get to do what I wanted to do, which was help increase the amount of medically accurate plant medicine information on the web. Man, that's so awesome. Yeah, I totally understand what you say with um, once you make that commitment, your brain says, okay, now it's time, to, it's time to create. It's time to look for what I couldn't see before because I had this level of comfort or um, or restrictions wouldn't even allow me my brain to go there because, you know, wh whatever that might be, whether it's a feeling of insecurity or, or loss of a job, right? So I totally understand that. And, and that's, that's awesome. So, um, so tell me about your experience with microdosing psilocybin that, that you discovered. Yes, yes. So I had never microdosed anything before. I had done either kind of recreational dose or heroic dose. And it was in a period of time where I was, you know, still realizing, okay, I need to quit this job, et cetera. But no major impetus had come along to kind of give me the push. And so somebody had given me a microdose of psilocybin on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then we went snowshoeing. This is in Tahoe. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. I felt nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what you're supposed to feel. I still don't. Um, <laughs> but then we come home from snowshoeing and I said, I never felt anything. And so my friend's like, here, take some more. So I take some more and then we go rock climbing. And I don't know if I just like, <laughs> maybe I should have just sat down at some point. Maybe I would have <laughs> felt something, but like I went and went rock climbing. And then as we're driving home from rock climbing, I said, man, I still didn't feel anything. And he says to me something that I don't still to this point have not asked a lot of other people about, but in the world of universal magic, he says to me, a lot of times I notice the effects 48 hours later. And that didn't even make any sense to me, right? Like, shouldn't that be out of my system, et cetera? You know, it should only be like flashbacks at that point. I'm not sure that you have flashbacks from a microdose. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. okay, you know, noted. Didn't really, like, just was more like a curiosity. Okay, interesting. So then I fly back to San Diego and I go to work on a Monday and I go to work on a Tuesday. And Tuesday, right before I was going to see my last patient, 
I get an email from one of my kind of like middle management type bosses criticizing a patient appointment that I had done. And I've been there nine years. Why are they looking at the patient appointments I had done? Like it seemed so out of the blue. And she sent it yeah. back and she just said, spend more time on this. That was her only critique. Like the least useful critique anybody's ever said, because you don't know how much time I spent on it in the first place, right? Like, yeah, right. what? You, I could have spent a year on this. You have no idea. You're not in my office. And what's wrong with it? You know, like I've yeah. been here for nine years. I'm one of the most experienced people here. What's yeah. wrong with it? And instantly what the, the chain of fears of exploding fears that went through my head is like, I'm being targeted to be fired. And if I'm fired, oh my God, what am I going to do? This is my golden job. Not realizing it was a golden handcuff, but like, this is the job that's, you know, affording me this lifestyle of having all this other time to do my podcast, blah, blah, blah. And I just started crying. Now, let's be honest. It's not the first time I cried in the VA, but it was the first time I couldn't stop crying. Like I somehow got it together enough to see my one last patient. And then I drive home and then I just keep crying. And I cry for like 12 hours nearly nonstop. Wow. And I'm like, what is happening? Like it was one email. I'm not that. In fact, I even kept saying to myself, why are you crying over the possibility of leaving a job you don't want anywhere? And I think somewhere wow. that like that, you know, tornado of frustration was rising up. And so all of a sudden it's two in the morning. Now we're like 12 hours into the crying. I can't sleep. I, I, I happen to be like scrolling through Facebook and my friend in Sweden is up. So I call him and I'm telling him the story. And then all of a sudden this like lightning, like light bulb goes on. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, this started 48 hours after I <laughs> And so to me, what, it's, what it was, and you know, I'm just making up this story, but whatever it works for me, is that the, the, the psilocybin revealed to me what my insides and what my soul is really feeling all the time because of this job. My soul is constantly crying mm. being in this job that's out of alignment for me. You know, I could rationalize it with my rational brain, like, oh, it's paying the bills and it's only 10 hours a week. And psilocybin was like, no, let's show you what it's really doing to you. Mm -hmm. And it was the next day that I was like, all right, I'm, I am ramping up the finding something portion. And then it was a week later when I got the security clearance note. And I was like, nope this is it. There's no, I'm not, it was just like, I'll ramp up my job and I'll, I'll find something in pharma. Like, Oh great. Out of one frying pan into the fire and things that that would have been totally out of alignment for me. But I was in like a desperation stage, like get me out of the VA, you know? Yeah. And it just had to be, it just had to play out this way where like, I even tried, I mean, I applied to like 75 pharma jobs and I got rejected from all of them. And it was because the universe was like, are you kidding me? Do you, <laughs> yeah. this is what you're going to do? No, honey. Like, <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, that's how it played out. That's funny. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I totally get that. So I was telling you earlier, um, my career changed unexpectedly yesterday. And I came home and I start. I went online and I'm like, cool, I'm just going to go work with my dad because I need to make money. So I'm going to go apply for being a road construction employee. And I'm, like, wow. I'm literally on the website filling out all the information for this resume. And I know I can get hired because they need people. They can't keep quality people that show up. You know, and so it's because it's manual labor and that's it, like really hard to find nowadays and uh, just to find employees for that. And yeah. so I'm, I'm like all the way down towards the end where the submit button is. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, your, you know, your talent, you know what you can provide for people, you know, you know, based off of my client's feedback that I'm meant to be in this field of serving people and you're going to go do road construction. You idiot. Like. <laughs> 
like you're going to, you're going to get stuck there, you know, because it's got benefits. It's got insurance. I'm a father of three little girls and there's nothing more comforting than knowing that you can go and get medical help right away if you need it. So, but my dad, that's what trapped him. And he's 62 years old, still working as a paving operator because he got stuck and then had five boys. And I mean, just, you know, it's this vicious, like cycle of, of, of being stuck there. So yeah, yesterday I was like, okay, come on. Like, I know it's scary. I know, I don't know where it's going to go next, but if you keep showing up and you keep standing in the space that you know, you're meant to be in and you take action being the primary thing, something will come from that. So uh, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. And I would say, you know, like, uh, not that I'm going to coach you, but like, Please, we can no, all yeah. be in our, no, I was gonna say, we can all, cause you know, we have that minute. We're like, why are we thinking we're going to go to a road construction? Why are we thinking we're going to pharma? Right. Like that, yeah. that we're like, cause we're coaches and, and people expect us to never have a moment of scarcity mindset, whatever, but, uh, <laughs> newsflash, we totally do. But yeah. at least in my world, uh, had I not started applying to pharma, I would have never, had the impetus to make my LinkedIn all perfect because that's where pharma just exists in LinkedIn. That's where they're finding each other, et cetera. And so a guy who had the pharmaceutical job that I wanted, which was just doctors talking to other doctors. So it wasn't sales or anything. He said, you need to redo your LinkedIn. And it was by redoing my LinkedIn, like I said, throwing in the word cannabis that all these other people found me. And also before I'd even thrown in the word cannabis, it was me looking up pharma jobs. And I found one of this it's called medical science liaison where the docs talk to docs found one in Australia. that was a cannabis medical science liaison. And I mm. never even thought that was a thing. And that's what led me to be like, Oh, hold it. The cannabis industry. I could, I could be useful there. And so had I not gone in, in the pharma, I wouldn't have been around LinkedIn or making my LinkedIn profile look better. And I wouldn't have gotten the job I had now. So mm. yeah. it's all part of a universal design and your like dive into, okay, road work niche, it's probably just the thing that like, is like that last little thing that says like, no, I know my worth. I trust the universe. It's, it's going to test you, but you're, you know, you've, you've done the work to know, like, I've got the tools to prepare for this. I just need to do, like you said, do the work, do the work yeah. and the universe does its part. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally true. I, this, by the way, this is not the first time I've gone on like Craigslist looking for a manual labor job when what I was doing wasn't working out. And every time it's the same thing, like, what are you doing? And the lesson from that is every time I turn it down and keep moving forward, there's a state change in who I am and how I'm being and how I'm occurring. And so my, uh, where I serve as my calling gets, um, it just levels up each time. But every time my first reaction is to go the easy route. You can go shovel rock and make a paycheck, you know, and <laughs> it's funny because I, as we're talking and you're sharing that with me, it's, that's been the, that's been a cycle for me. This isn't working out, go to Craigslist. And I'm just sitting there going like, man, why do I want to do this? You don't stay away <laughs> from it. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's awesome. But yeah, um, it's understandable. And every time, like you said, you flex that muscle, you know, it's just as yeah. your people in the strong coach say doing your reps of reminding yourself like, no, 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 I'm not even going down a road where I could get stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your experiences with um, uh, hero dosing uh, and uh, as well as ayahuasca, um, things like that through the, uh, the plant medicine world. Have you done ayahuasca ceremony? I think we've talked about it and you have. So, um, yes, yes. So, coming from the veteran world and working in that space and me being a combat veteran and, and having come from that space and be getting where to where I'm at and, and um, 
you know, for me, the, the, the plant medicine, um, I found purpose prior to plant medicine, but what plant medicine did for me was show some things in the way I was being with my character around the ones I loved, mm. right? How I yes. was interacting with my loved ones, uh, which was very profound. Um, so what's your experience been like, really what took you away from, you know, look, the time and the, the investment of your time, the investment of your resources to gain those degrees that you're now essentially not necessarily using, although they support you in a major role, you know, cause I, I guess really you are using them, Yeah. <laughs> but not, not, not directly like you're not seeing patients, right? Was there an experience in those plant medicine experiences that led to that transition? No. And this is what's a little hard to say is that like, I knew in the middle of, I should have known and I, I was like, Oh, don't say should, whatever I should have maybe, you know, and, and again, you're right. I sh it's, there's no onus on me to have noticed this because in residency, if you know anything about medical residency, we're working, uh, 80 to 120 hours a week. We're on call every third night. We're completely sleep deprived and we're supposed to be saving lives. And we've like three minutes ago, we were med students. Like we barely know what's going on and yet there's all this pressure. Um, but I started having a racing heart when I would see patients. And mm. like from the minute I even like walked into the clinic, this would start happening. And to me, it was racing heart. I did not at all identify it as anxiety. And then I went to fellowship and the entire time I was in med school and residency, all I could think about was once I get to sports medicine fellowship, this will all be fine. And again, like just kind of light at the end of the tunnel, head down, let's yeah. do this because I came from not a lot of means. And I, mm -hmm. at this point I'm very in debt, but I thought like, <laughs> okay, here's a stable job at the end, right? That will like yep. get my ticket out of Coorsville. And uh, I go to my fellowship and I have to see patients in clinic there and the heart still races. And I was like, oh mm. no, oh no. And so what I started doing was I started taking medicine to slow down my heart, mm. not realizing that this is anxiety, <laughs> that I'm just yeah. like clearly not meant for it. And finally somewhere that year, it finally all caught up to me and it's like, oh, you don't like seeing patients. And guess what? Anybody who's currently in a thing where they have to see patients, uh, it's okay. I'm not an evil person because I don't want to see patients. If you think I am an evil person because I don't want to see patients, I don't care because come I know and, who I am. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Like that's, you know, like that is a lot of projection and judgment. And it's yep. a projection and judgment that I do not have on myself because I know what I've been through and I know what it's like to see patients. Like you're, you know, if you picture this, like everybody walks in hearts and flowers, it is not like that. There are some very angry <laughs> patients. There are patients that take up 40 minutes more than their appointment was slotted for, but now you're behind and it's like, there's every manner of thing and God bless the people who can do that. I'm not one of them. And yeah. I found that out. And that's why the, the job at the VA actually worked for me because the appointments were an hour long and the appointments mm. at Mayo Clinic where I did residency were 15 minutes. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my God, trying to see a person in 15 minutes. So like by the time I left fellowship, I knew it wasn't for me. So plant medicine right. did not have anything to do with, um, with my desire to no longer be in clinical medicine. That has been around. I tried to get out of it before I even started the VA. I went to pharma. I went to, you know, these other options, but the VA was there and it was quick. And I thought this is, this is doable. And I'm glad that I did it because now it gives me the background to be able to talk to people like yourself and other veterans and seeing as how I was never in the service myself, I would have no, 
no way to know what you all went through or to even empathize as much as I can having heard these stories for, you know, I've seen 9,000 vets. Um, wow. So yeah, over nine years. So I, I have, it, it's never like firsthand. I was not you know, right. overseas. I did not go through what you guys went through, but I've definitely more compassion than I would otherwise. And I can understand this, the situation and I'm much more passionate about helping vets than if I had never gone through that. So you're, so you're saying that you're in this because of what you experienced there and the, and this, uh, this real desire to actually serve people in what will serve them. So you're in a place that it's, it's uh, presented as if it will, but the result of being there is realizing that this is not really moving the needle. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm a firm believer, and this was shown to me in a psilocybin journey, that every last thing that happened to me in my life is exactly what was supposed to happen. So, you know, the VA to me seems like, okay, there was nine years of definitely some struggle, some hard times, toxic environment, but it's extremely clear why I went through that. Because if I had never been told, you can't talk about plant medicine, I don't know that I'd be so passionate about talking about plant medicine. Yeah. But it gave me this mission to like, you know, it, it's like, you know, like the rebellious teenager, you know, you can't do this thing. I want to do this thing. Whatever it is that, that led to me being so passionate about it. I, I think that definitely played a role. And like you said, when people say, oh, don't you want to help people? Like, okay, I just told you, I saw 9,000 vets. My <laughs> podcast has been downloaded. My, my quitting podcast where I help people get unstuck has been downloaded significantly more than 9,000 times. So yeah. the amount of people I can help doing clinical medicine is one amount, but the amount of people I can affect spreading this message, especially if, like now I have the plant medicine podcast and I'm trying to educate doctors, those doctors can have impact on all of their patients. My impact is significantly greater than it was seeing people one-on-one. -on -one. Totally get that. Awesome. So <clears throat> who do you think is right for plant medicine? I know that's a loaded question. So in your experience, what you've gone through, because I, I talk to a lot of people where in my circle, like I'm usually the first person they've ever talked to that's done that. And so it's like, the look I get is like, oh, we better keep an eye on AJ, you know, because they're, they're stuck in that old understanding. They're not getting this information that you're sharing out there and that's available now. They're just not even coming connected to it. So they're still believing in the D.A.R.E. program that was presented to them in, you know, elementary school. So, uh, how, how, who do you, who would you say is right for that kind of, uh, experience and, um, how would you recommend going about sharing it in your experience? Sure. So, uh, I'm going to throw in my own, as I am a doctor and a lawyer, throw in my own disclaimer here. Yeah, I am not prescribing perfect. or recommending that anybody <laughs> do plant medicine right now. <laughs> Nor are the views and opinions presented on this podcast. The, the, uh, the idea, you could fill in the blank for me if you want, but yeah, exactly. I totally yes. understand. Yes. We're not saying go do We're this. not saying do the thing. Yeah. We're just saying who would be good to do the thing if perhaps they wanted to do the thing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, uh, well, I think it takes an open mind. Yeah. And I mean, in my first ayahuasca journey, the person next to me had never done anything past marijuana. And yet his therapist has said, you should go do ayahuasca. And he said, all right, I trust you. I'm going to do this. And people come at it very different ways, but I think a lot of them have seen firsthand the effects it's had on somebody close to them. Or mm -hmm. maybe like in my instance, uh, I'm now 42. I am from the Midwest, Southern Illinois. I had never smoked 
any cannabis until I was 35. I still can't because yeah. I choked, but like I'd never even tried it until I was 35. And at 35, my friend was like, why haven't you ever smoked? I was like, I'm a, I work for the Department of Defense. They can drug test me. And he said, have they ever? And I said, no. And he's like, try it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, then I went to Burning Man and things just accelerated from there. <laughs> tried a few other things. But <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, like asterisks here, Burning Man is and is not the best place to be doing these things. Yeah. Generally not, but there will be an effect from them. There, <laughs> something will happen. But yeah. you know, so like I was, I came to this very late in life, and I was a product of the Dare program, and I was drugs are bad for many years until I started seeing the research. And mm. okay, all of a sudden it's legal for medical use in California. About fifteen years after I was through the Dare program, 10, 15 years, I was like, okay, noted. You know, an entire state thinks this has a a valid medical use, and then. My first time I did LSD, I had essentially a therapeutic realization. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then it took me, I, you know, and it's hard to remember every, the details, but I'm pretty sure it was Tim Ferriss, because I used to listen to his podcast religiously. He started talking about the research that was being done into the mm -hmm. psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And I was like, here's somebody I respect like crazy. I have all of his books. I've been listening to his podcast and he's saying it. Yeah. Okay. And so I think, you know, this is a combination answer to both questions, but somebody who's right for it, it's only going to work if you are allowing it to work. You can yeah. for sure block its effects. You can use your stubborn yeah. brain and say, I'm not going to let this uh, substance take me to places. Uh, and alternatively, you can be like, all right, I surrender. I'm signing up for whatever this shows me. And, and it's best to go in with no expectation because... Like I said, remember my, my microdose, I had an expectation I was going to feel something. I did not yeah. feel a thing. And then I was probably like, by the end of Sunday, like that failed. And then yeah. you know, two <laughs> later, I'm quitting my job, you know? So like it did not fail, yeah. but it may not look like you're expecting it to look. So, you know, I'd say somebody who's open-minded, willing to try something and um, doesn't have a lot of, I mean, Going into it, it's funny because even the, the gentleman who I said, his therapist had recommended he do it, he was very afraid because um, mm -hmm. we were just discussing what are your fears. And I am not a person who vomits a lot. And so I knew ayahuasca, there's a purge. And I was like, I'm afraid I'm not going to know how to vomit. And he's like, uh, I'm afraid of what I'm going to see in my head. And I was like, oh, huh. I'm <laughs> afraid of that. <laughs> That's way more philosophical. But, but That's you know, funny. Yeah. If you go in with a fear and he actually had a very fear-filled journey and mm. he was able to bring it back to his therapist and there was still it was still a useful and productive journey but man during it he was like oh my god that was terrible but yeah. he's so glad he went through it you know and he's done it again since um but again because he went in with that mindset and i had just actually quit a side job i had like and that day the first time i did ayahuasca my quit happens had launched on itunes so i went into it like extremely excited and had a very lovely journey so a lot, you know, as, as Michael Pollan reminds us in the book and everybody talks about it's set and setting. So you yeah. set means mindset. And so the person who's right for this is somebody who is going to be able to clear their mindset enough to let the medicine do its job and know like, Hey, cause I did this once I had a, I had a ceremony that was supposed to be on a Friday an ayahuasca ceremony. And I had an extremely kind of stressful, distressing week. And I called and I said, I have to cancel. I said, my mindset is not ready for this medicine right now. And that's really important. And, and it's frustrating because, you know, like, especially with the ayahuasca, you dieted for days or done the, the preparation. And I had to say, like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get the benefit of the medicine. I'll get something. But 
I know that my mindset is, is definitely not where it needs to be. So um, those are, those are big things. Don't yeah. go into it fearing the medicine. If you you know can avoid it going with an open mind, I wouldn't at all say like, Oh, if you've tried everything else, by no means try everything else first. Like it, it's still a little bit disturbing to me that a lot of these medic medicines like ketamine are uh, only, you know, FDA approved for treatment resistant depression. So you have to go through, you know, years or however long of using a thing and paying for a thing that isn't working and will have a bunch of side effects. Or yeah. you could try ketamine, which yeah. in a six-week course is known to last for months for a lot of people with almost no side effects. And mm. you're not, you know, you're not continuously paying and you're not having this like yeah. ongoing drug in your system. It's like, it's frustrating to me that that's what they say. So I would never say like, oh, if you've tried everything else. No, just if you are feeling, here's, I guess, the, the big thing, since I'm rambling. <laughs> the big thing is no, like, please, are, you feeling, yeah. <laughs> are you feeling called? Because um, yeah. there are times that I have done. So once I said, I'm going to do the plant medicine podcast, everybody came out of the woodwork to say, here, try this substance. And so <laughs> I have done everything on the list except for uh, Ibogaine, I believe at this point. Okay. And Yeah. yeah. And I will be very honest that some of those I was not feeling called to do at the time. And I did it for whatever circumstance, like, oh, the person really wanted to do it. And now was the only time or this or that. And the experience was not as good. And even mm. one of them was, I would say, and again, this is what like the key thing to remember is even when an experience is challenging or difficult, it is happening for a reason. Um, yeah. Because I had an experience with 5-MEO that was extremely difficult in, in that nothing happened. Like, I don't know anybody who's had two doses back-to-back -back of 5-MeO and nothing happened. However, the amount of crying that happened after that led, um, you know, somebody who was with us, a mutual friend of ours, to say, you need to go and do this um, personal development workshop unrelated to plant medicine. And so, like, had that not happened, I wouldn't have ended up at that personal development workshop. Ah. So everything plays its role. So the plants are playing their role, just like the psilocybin playing its weird microdose role, making me cry for 12 hours. They're yeah. playing a role, they're doing a thing. So just be open, but also, you know, note that it's, it may be a slightly less difficult journey if you're feeling called at the time. Like I said, when that mm -hmm. ayahuasca ceremony came up and I was not in the mindset, I said, okay, I am definitely being anti-called at this time. I'm going to cancel this. So yeah. that's important. And then your second question was like, how to, you know, get people, I don't know, maybe, or what were you asking? Like what to tell people after you after they journey uh no like <clears throat> so i don't know like i might have forgot um how who who would be right for it and oh how would you present it um how, like what would your recommendation be to how to share it with somebody right especially so like in my experience when i talk to somebody about plant medicine i i usually get three things then they're done that they love it they did it in high high school or college and they did it at a party and so then therefore it was like nothing profound or it wasn't even on their radar at all, right? And so the people who could be of big value to them and it's not on their radar, uh, how would you recommend going about um, just, just talking about it? Not like you're saying, go do this, but just to start to enlighten them. And, and, and obviously your podcast is a resource for sure, right? So you can send them to resources. To, to learn for themselves, but is that what you would recommend? Like, what's your experience been like? No, I mean, because sending somebody to a resource, they have to be a little bit interested to go and do it, right? Like, mm -hmm. like oh, I've never heard of psychedelics. Listen to this podcast. They have really no investment in doing that. However, I'll give you an example. My mother, who has never touched a substance in her life besides church wine that I know of, 
I was so moved, you know, by what I learned in my first ayahuasca journey that I called her on the way home and explained to her in the most G-rated terms I could. I was like, I did a native ceremony where I drank a tea made of some tree bark. I mean, literally, I'm just like describing all of exactly what happened. You know, I'm not saying like this is drug is illegal in the United States, you know, yeah. but I, and then I told her, I found a way to forgive my father. And I explained like what it had shown me. And it actually works to forgive any person. And she was like, I mean, to, you know, she was so happy to hear that I found a way for us to have more family harmony and to have more understanding for him that she's, right then i mean if she were a person who was slightly more curious about what what happened she'd be like what was this tea that you drank maybe you know i mean she was just happy for the outcome but if you yeah. are kind of friends and they start to notice like hey how come you don't seem so stressed or um or if you just get in a conversation about you know oh i'm so angry at my such and such and then i'll be like man i used to get angry but like i learned this forgiveness when i did this ayahuasca journey they may be like what's ayahuasca and, and if they're of the set where you said like, oh, they got high at some recreational use and, and nothing really happened. And so like, how could this really be transformational? I mean, then I go straight to pointing out like MDMA is in like phase three trials, breakthrough therapy status by the FDA. And if the FDA is saying like, this is noteworthy, I think everybody's got to stand up because we know that the FDA is yeah. not like that fond of just proven stuff right and left. Right. And so I just, I just start pointing out like when I'm like, I pick out a few favorite things. Like I interviewed yesterday, um, Dr. Albert Garcia Romeo from the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic uh -huh. and Consciousness Research. And he had been part of this psilocybin smoking cessation uh, study. And one course of psilocybin led to 60% of the people being smoke free at two and a half years. That's way more than anything else. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And I mean, it was, it was psilocybin plus a little bit of cognitive CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, but like, I'll just, I just have a few of those studies in my pocket where I'm like, this is what happens. So I either share my own story or I share some stats because people have to come to it on their own. You know, yeah. if they're not being called, then it's like being pushed into it. And if they have a difficult journey, you're the one at fault that pushed them into it. And there's going to be a whole other dialogue in their head and a story. And like, you don't want any of that. People need to be called whatever way it yeah. is. But, but yeah, just presenting the information in a way that says like, hey, this is not some illicit crazy thing we're doing in a rave. This is a curated ceremony. That's why I started plantmedicine.org because I wanted people to have safe places they could go mm. to do this. P.S. Not that I have been able to verify and vet every place that goes on plantmedicine.org and I disclaim right. that. But, you know, like if, if there are centers that are doing psilocybin or MDMA trials or that kind of thing, I want people to be able to, to find those and experience it mm. for themselves. Yeah, that's cool. So you were saying something. I, <clears throat> my first ayahuasca ceremony uh, was a nightmare. Like literally, I was the guy on the floor begging for mercy out loud for the entire ceremony to the point where the shamans came over and they were uh, singing their echidos, praying over me for like, you know, time, I don't know for sure, maybe an hour, but they were just there forever. Now, when they first came over, I'm like, oh, good. They're going to help it stop. Nope. They're there to guide you, whatever that looks like. So the echidos would increase in intensity and then it would go low and it would increase in intensity. And I mean, it was to the point where when it was over, everybody asked me like, they, they're like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like it was that level of intensity. And all I remember is blackness. Uh, but what I'm thinking with what you're sharing with me is I was 
it, that was my first psychedelic experience. I'd never, I mean, I'd smoked cannabis, but I'd never experienced anything else, not mushrooms, not anything. And I went straight into the fire. Right. And so it was, it was intense and it was three nights in a row plus followed up by combo Sapo in the morning and uh, Wim Hof with that. I mean, it was very intense, but I'm wondering if my experience that night was because of fear. And I remember thinking while I'm laying there, this isn't real. Like, I, like you said, you can resist it. Like I was like, this isn't real. They're, they're psyching us out. Like we got scammed. Cause I'd never done a psychedelic. Right. So I had no idea what to expect. So I'm thinking I just had the fa a fast one pulled on me and it's a placebo for everybody else there. They're like just a bunch of weirdos that want to feel it. And so they're letting themselves feel it. And so I had all this stuff going on in my head. I left the yurt to go to the restroom. When I came back, the candle was lit again and they were doing seconds. And I was like, and I hadn't purged nothing. It was probably, I felt like it was 30 minutes to an hour at least. Nothing had happened. And I'm just like, what the heck? So I went and had seconds. And that was where my mistake was. So I, uh, I, uh, we were in a circle, right? And I was at the six, if the shaman was at 12 o'clock, I was at the six o'clock right by the door. And uh, I put myself there being a veteran, like, here's how I can get out, you know, yeah. type type deal. So I put myself right by the door. But after seconds, the person right to the shaman's one o'clock started purging. And then to the, you know, two o'clock yeah. purging three. And I was like, oh, crap. So the intensity was building. And it was literally, you could time it for each person as we drank in that order, purging, purging, purging. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. And the person right next to me starts purging. And I'm like, oh, shit, here it goes. And then literally within two minutes, I started purging. And I purged the rest of the night until it was over. I mean, I threw my back out. I was purging so violently. Oh, my gosh. And, and I don't remember... Like I said, it was just darkness to me. It was a lot of pain and suffering with no real connection to why. And then the next week, I was driving down the road and I had this flash of memory. This entire experience just came in. And it was, I had become my wife experiencing me in a condition that she was not serving her. I, I, I would basically, uh, if I wanted to do something, I'm going to talk circles until she gives in, not knowing I was being that way, but also knowing I wanted to get my way. And so I would just try different angles <clears throat> thinking she was agreeing, but really she was just, it was like, fine, whatever, you yeah. know, do it. And, uh, when you feel the impact you make on somebody, it's way more impactful personally than like, cause we'd had conversations, obviously we'd get in fights about why do you do this? It's disrespectful, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. But when you feel what that feels like. So I called her and I said, uh, so I was you <laughs> and this is what I experienced. Is that what it's like? And she goes, yeah, welcome to my life. And I was like, wow. Okay. You're not ever going to have to deal with that guy again, you know? And so now we have this safe word <laughs> and, and the safe word is Omega. So if I'm being that way, I'm oh. being an Omega for her and she's a beta. So it's really hard for her to 
really put her foot down. Right. And yeah. so, uh, because I, one, I won't hear it. And two, it's not her personality. So she can just use the word Omega. She needs to, and she hasn't used it. And this was wow. two, this was two years ago. Um, so anyway, so, but I I'm, love I'm that. yeah. So what you're sharing with me, I'm just like, I wonder if the, the suffering was from the fear and lack of under, like not expecting, not knowing what to expect. And so I was holding it off. I don't know. Well, but the suffering is what you had to go through. Cause what you realize now is the suffering was the suffering of your wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually, that's, I never put that together. So I was feeling the suffering in the physical realm, but then experiencing the emotional realm through the medicine as her. Interesting. Yeah. I, because so my last, and that's what I was just saying about like my friend who had the challenging one when he went uh -huh. in fear, but it still was therapeutic. Like this is a beautiful example. Like, uh. you had a very challenging time, but had you had a hearts and flowers time, you would not have tapped into your wife's feeling. And like this two years of not having that strife between the two of you would not have, would not have happened. So yeah. whatever the set of circumstances are that bring you to that type of ceremony is what they're supposed to be. My last, um, I somebody told me the day before that I was going to do it. I thought I was doing something different. I thought I was doing like combo or five MU or something. I was unaware. And so I wasn't on any kind of diet. Yeah. And so I go in with like one day of dieting and, um, I take the medicine and I don't purge and I am so sick and I am just Ooh. like writhing in pain the entire night. I never purged. I was begging for a purge. I've never wanted to vomit so much in my life. <laughs> and what happened is that like they had said to us beforehand, and this was, I think this was right after I left the VA, just so I just quit medicine. And they said to us, you should sit up during the ceremony. It's better for the energy of everybody if you sit up. And so here I am writhing in pain, forcing myself to, to sit up. And it occurred to me, this is what I just did in medicine for 14 years is, is sacrifice my own energy and well-being for the good of others. Yeah. And this is me taking a stand that that's going to change. And I laid down and I was mm. like, this is, you know, you don't have to. And so many things came from that because I'm such a compulsive Virgo OCD rule follower, you know, like, again, I'm yeah. not going to do cannabis. The DOD says I can't, <laughs> um, that like, you know, but they told us to sit up and I'm like, no, Morsky, you can lay down. Like you don't have to follow every single rule. And then it also like, then it gave me sympathy for other people. Cause I'm very annoyed when other people don't follow the rules. And it was like, the reason they're not following the rules is probably from their own pain in some way, shape or form too. Like you're not following the rules now because of your pain. And it's just like one after the other, that pain set off a cascade of lessons that had, mm -hmm. I had this like lovely journey and I'd purged and I'd seen some funhouse stuff. Like something would have happened for sure. I would have gotten messages of, of a different type, but I got an entire slew of really important messages through the pain. So, mm -hmm. you know, like when I say don't go in with fear, you know, maybe, like, I think more the thing is try not to go in blocking it. Because when I, like yeah. when I said, when, when I had no experience with 5-MEO, everybody's first thing was like, were, were you blocking it? Like, I definitely wasn't trying to, but you know, yeah. uh, it had been a rough week and it wasn't the right mindset. So you never know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so even, I like that you shared that your, what seemed like a challenging, struggling journey at the time ended up being exactly what you needed to empathize with your wife. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, from that experience, that that alone was what gave me the courage uh, to go beyond like how people knew me, right? Because I grew up in such a, a, a very specific circle. I was raised uh, Mormon, LDS. And so all of the context of all of this stuff is like, yep, you're going to hell, 
right? Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that that's the case. I'm saying that was my perception of what I had been raised to believe, right? And so, um, so, but, and now I'm so, it's such a valuable thing that my own discomforts of what's been kind of taught or placed on me or indoctrinated into me, they take a backseat to what will serve people. It's like, Hey, look, I know that my some certain people in my circle, you know, if, if anybody in my extended family uh, are listening to this, which I doubt they are, but if they were, they would have this very specific view of who I was just by what their, their experience is. Right. And I'm okay with that because of what it's done for me and my family, what I've seen it do for others that continue to, to uh, hear what I have to share, do their own research and then show up with their own set and setting in mind. And it's worth it. It's worth it to be, to, to shift the, the, the tribe that I'm in um, yes. because I'm noticing people are willing to follow because you know, look, the world we're in is so disconnected. We are so driven towards consuming content with other people's ideas that we lose our own. Yes. And so the idea to free them up from that. So a uh, couple of questions for you and then, and then I'll let you go. Cause I can probably talk to you forever. Um, so the, the, what's the right word? The, uh, the idea that these are illegal, right? Back from the administration in the sixties. In your experience, from your knowledge, being uh, with the education and, and background that you have, why is this something that was blacklisted and made so, you know, we talked before we started about the D.A.R.E. program and my kids are getting that right now in school. And I'm curious what they're actually being taught because they know dad has a medicine that smells like skunks and, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious on that level. But from your past experience, what does where did that come from? Is it, is it, you know, the, the, I keep forgetting the name of it, but, but, um, conspiracy, the conspiracy is that it's the pharmaceutical company that they paid into it. You know, that's one conspiracy anyway. So from your experience and your research in the world, you are fully invested in what, what have you discovered there? Well, I will not claim to be an expert in that area. I definitely have lawyers come on the show. I had a, a lawyer come on to talk about the legality of cannabis and he had lived through the 60s. And so he had a lot to say on that one. But um, it's funny because I almost never go straight to the pharma conspiracy, which maybe is because I'm on the Western side of medicine. Uh, so I, I, don't, I, I was not brought up with that negative slant, though I definitely realize it's there. Like I said, I wasn't, wasn't stoked to, about the idea of going to work for pharma. But uh, that may definitely, I mean, there's lobbyists all the time. So whatever mm -hmm. we say comes from the top can always have a pharmaceutical influence. But I think a lot of it was the, like, I don't want to say mind control aspect, but when you've got an entire, I mean, look at the, the times, it was Vietnam and Vietnam era. And so what you did not want was a bunch of people thinking for themselves and burning their draft cards and going to Canada and whatever, that kind of thing. You needed people to show up when their draft number came up and do the thing. And, you know, like if you can imagine being, putting yourself back in that era where you're being told you're going to go fight this war, you're not even sure what it's for. Like there was no 9-11 <laughs> yeah. for Vietnam. Like there was no, why are we doing this? You know? And so they're, they, may be, they may already be questioning and then you give them psilocybin, you give them LSD and they realize the world is all love. Like how are they going to want to go 
fight a war against people that have never hurt them. They don't really even understand, maybe. I mean, all they knew was like, communism bad. Like once psychedelics opens your mind, I think that's really difficult to get people to sign up for something like that. And I think that was a huge part of it was like, okay, how can we take this away so that people fall in line to what we need them to do. And I don't have like all the dates, you know, exactly in my head, like when Vietnam started and when things became illegal. But I think it was that zeitgeist of like, we need people to be doing what we're telling them to do and following, you know, more of this, like, we are the leaders, you are the followers, you do as we say kind of thing. And psychedelics mm -hmm. makes that very difficult because it shows you this interconnectivity. And like, one of the things it does for me is it dissolves hierarchies. It like, mm. I, at least once per every psychedelic journey, I laugh at some person that I've been afraid to talk to. <laughs> awesome like that guy gets up and puts his pants on one leg at a time like you do you know yeah. like why are you afraid to talk to these people you know depending on what you know it's like a podcast guest i want to ask on or you mm -hmm. know somebody that i would like a masculine man i'd want to approach or something like that in a you know like a dating situation like we're all the same and it's really hard to i think get people to sign up for shooting other people when there's like this we're all love and we're all the same and 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 no impetus like i said with terrorism you know I'm not going to start on the computer, you know, any conspiracies right. behind that, but like right. with Vietnam, there was definitely nothing. To, right. So I, I, I mean, that's, that's my sense of what happened. Yeah, I totally get it. And, and actually <clears throat> I've had that same thought as well, because since, I mean, I'm a combat veteran, I've been there, done that. And so since experiencing plant medicine, the, the empathy is almost debilitating sometimes. And, and for me, it's wrapped in the, in nature, like yeah. the planet. Oh my gosh, what ayahuasca did for me was stress me the heck out about all the stuff we're doing to our planet. That's what happened. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I mean, I was talking to my mom the other day about water in the front lawn. I'm like, why are we watering a lawn? There's nothing we can eat there, you know, and we've got a drought, you know, it's like, and, and, and I, sometimes I forget that, that where that comes from, but it certainly connected me with more than what, just what we're told. Right. And so, yeah, the, the idea that when you're, what I've experienced in plant medicine, had I experienced it prior to going to the military, I would not have joined the military. You know, now, do I think we need to protect ourselves from bad people? Absolutely. I do. And how do I know that what they're telling me needs to be done is what needs to be done? Exactly. You know what I mean? That's kind of been the biggest eye-opening thing for me is like, oh my gosh, who's pulling the strings? And for what purpose? You know, because I love all people, all people. That's just, that's just what I've been able to uncover more of and not have so much fear between different cultures. And, you know, one of my favorite times was when I did go to Iraq, I went back as a private contractor and I got to work with Ugandans and Iraqi interpreters at the same time. And I fully enjoyed learning and connecting and developing the, the relationship with that culture, right? And, or the different cultures and getting to know them. So yeah, that I, I feel like maybe not so much the pharmaceutical too. It is that they needed warriors. And yeah. when you're connected on that level, you got to show me why you want me to fight. And I have to buy in on that before I'm going to just go do it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I totally get that. Okay. So my last question for you, LaMarie is, where would you love to see what you're doing 10 years from now? Like what's the big vision of what you're committed to creating with what you're up to? So I've got two podcasts. The one is on quitting as I uh -huh. alluded to before. And the other one is a plant medicine podcast. And 
on quitting. I have written a book on quitting. I am, let's say, a you know, quitting evangelist. That's where I feel like I'm in my zone of genius. I'm yeah. like, quitting is my superpower. And I have other people on to share their stories. With plant medicine, I'm learning. I, like I said, I just got into this world. I have not spent my entire you know, adult life talking about the science and the research. So I started the podcast to promote information for others to hear, but also to learn myself. And so in 10 years, I would like to be significantly more knowledgeable because what happens is, and this has happened already, is, is like I'll, people introduce me like, she's the plant medicine expert. I'm like, oh, by no means am I the plant medicine expert. I just happen to be one of the, you know, smaller subset of Western trained physicians slash lawyers who will stand up and say, like, I fully believe in this and I think we should educate people. And, you know, in 10 years, if I've seen as one of the people who helped spearhead that and spread information to doctors, I would be completely satisfied because it's, you know, it is not yet my zone of genius, but I would love for it in 10 years to be my zone of genius. That's so awesome. And so then what can I and the listeners do to support your mission? Oh, I appreciate that. Well, if you could go to plantmedicine.org, there's a, there's a, you can put in your email and we will send um, five common mistakes people make when first using psychedelics or plant medicines. So if you're new to it, here's some things to uh, look out for if you're going to take your first journey. Um, and then you could tune into plant medicine, the plant medicine podcast. It's on all the, all the places and follow plantmedicine.org on Instagram. Awesome. Cool. And um, okay. Awesome. That was my next question for you to, to wrap up was how can oh. people connect? <laughs> That's how you can find me. And you know, awesome. if you want to support, just, just it, like tell your story, be mm. vulnerable. Um, mm. Because two things, if you've done plant medicine, and you're vulnerable and you share what it's brought to you, like you just shared today, like think of how many people who may be going through struggles with their wife after coming back from combat or, or anytime, you know, mm -hmm. will think, oh, here's a tool that I haven't used to be able to better see things from her perspective. So that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, if you have not gone through plant medicine, but you can still be vulnerable about what you're struggling with, then people like you who have can say, hey, have you considered trying this? other form of therapy because we need to have these conversations so that people aren't doing this. You know, my goal is to destigmatize and promote the safe use of. And the first part is for destigmatization, you just got to get it out of the shadows and talk about it. Like for me to yeah. get on a podcast. Yeah. I remember the first time I said it on a podcast was on an extremely, extremely well downloaded podcast with, with Chris <laughs> and he was like, so you did ayahuasca. And I was like, Oh, here we go. I can't take it back. Yeah. <laughs> but That's you know, awesome. like you're, you're hearing the real me and, and just yeah. be brave and, and share your story because there's a lot of healing out there that needs to happen and we can only do it communally by sharing our, ourselves and our stories. That's so awesome. Awesome. Limerie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your message and your story with not just my listeners, but the world because it will make a difference and um, appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Awesome.